Good to see all of you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is um, our time together to, to worship and uh, to honor the Lord. And it's always a blessing to see many people enjoying uh, fellowship before and after service. And it's a good reminder of why we get together, you know, that we do this at the beginning of the week to encourage each other. Uh, in our walk with Jesus to be strengthened, uh, to be reminded of who we are and uh, what it is that we are to be about as Christians. And so this is our celebration service, our time during the week where we, uh, we do just that. And so I'd like to, to start us off with a, a word from the Lord as our call to worship. And uh, this morning it'll be from the beginning of Psalm 34. And even as we're reminded of our, of our core values here of learn, grow, and serve, it's how we pursue being followers of Jesus, that we learn the truth and we grow in faith and then we serve, we serve each other. And the way that we do that is we start with the word of God because this is God's revelation to us. It's as if God said here, this is who I am, and this is how much I love you. And so we are to turn to his word to learn more about who he is, to grow in our trust in him, right? And then to serve each other in that, uh, that trust and faith. And so our word from the Lord this morning, from Psalm 34, will be our encouragement and our call to worship him. And then we'll stand and sing songs in honor of him. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. 
I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We say amen to that. We are blessed because we can take refuge in him. That's a part of what this is this morning. Together taking refuge in his sanctuary, in his presence. You know, elsewhere it says in uh, Colossians, Paul tells us, he says, of himself, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is not I, but it is Christ. We're going to start our worship through song with a new song this morning. And so if you haven't heard it before, just listen to the music and we'll catch on as we normally do, but I wanted to introduce and bring this new song to our church this morning, and it'll be the first song in our set of worship. So would you stand and allow me to pray us into a a time of singing, Father, thank you for the voices you've given us. Thank you for the breath that we have in our lungs. We now turn all those blessings that you have blessed us with, and we turn them back to you in the form of praise. God, may you be blessed and honored by the words that we sing. And so, Father, this is for you. But we know, because you are so good, even in the midst of us giving to you, you will bless us. So thank you, Lord. This time is for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship him together.
Hallelujah. It's good to sing that name, isn't it? The name of Jesus. So say good morning to somebody in the name of Jesus and encourage them. as we uh, make your way back to your, your seats. And uh, this is the time when our, our children make their way uh, to their classes. So we thank uh, all of the adults that work with them. Praise the Lord for them. Make sure you continue to include them in your prayers, um, our next generation. And so um, it is good to be in this place together and to worship. And trust that you've uh, enjoyed your time already and been blessed. Uh, it's so wonderful, isn't it? Just sometimes just um, to, to just not sing for a moment and just hear the people around you worshiping and singing is beautiful. It's it's glorious. And so uh, praise the Lord for a sweet time of worship to Him. Um, just want to get caught up in a few things in the life here at Trinity. We call it church life, uh, just so we kind of know what's going on. Things that have happened, things that are going on, and things to look forward to. Just a few for this morning, as we're reminded of our core values. That's how we pursue discipleship here at uh, Trinity. We just spent the whole fall uh, going through the discipleship pathway, as we'll see that unfold this year and actually uh, put it into practice, and uh, it will help us as a great tool to do just this. Uh, as a, an important reminder, you know, we have our Wednesday evening services, and you've been hearing that there'll be a, a slight change, and so our Wednesday evening services will continue, but we're going to start meeting at a different place. So it's still 6.30 to 7.30 on Wednesday evenings. We're going to be meeting right down the, the road at the Allenwood Church. Uh, that is pastored by our good friend, Pastor Dave Berkey, and we've done many events, combined events with them, but we're also inviting in Shiloh Baptist Church, which is in downtown Manasquan, that's Pastor Mike Morgan, is the leader there, 
And the three of us, as local pastors, we record a podcast every week. We've been working on some new episodes that we will be uh, releasing shortly. But uh, what we wanted to do was we wanted to um, kind of join these two things together, these ministries. And so starting this coming Wednesday, the 25th, uh, we will be having our Wednesday evening service there at the Allenwood Church right in downtown Allenwood. And the three of us will be recording our podcast. It's us kind of sharing testimony about living out the challenge from God's word for that week. And um, we just kind of share our experience and our testimony of what that looked like. And so we give a specific passage of scripture and what our challenge was. And we share our stories about how that went. And um, then there'll be a, an interactive time as well, uh, the second part of that um, Wednesday evening service where we can do Q&A and we can kind of talk through the, the content and uh, the scripture that we went through. And so it'll be a, a really interesting and unique time together. And so just want to remind you of that. Uh, just be looking for reminder texts and emails, but that's this Wednesday. It's still 6 to 7.30. We'll still have our uh, Trinity Kids Ministry there at the church in the basement downstairs in the church. And um, and then we still have, of course, our prayer gathering. It'll just be right there in the sanctuary of the Allenwood Church right after our service, okay? So the flow and everything will be similar to what we do here on Wednesdays, but we're just going to move it over there. And uh, the teaching will be a, a team teaching of the three local pastors. So a wonderful opportunity. And so as I mentioned last week, even if it's not something you think you can commit to every week, I would really encourage you uh, to come out and, and try it at least this coming Wednesday or a Wednesday soon to just check it out and see what it is that, uh, that we'll be doing on Wednesdays. A wonderful uh, chance and opportunity to get to know some other brothers and sisters in the Lord from our local communities, to fellowship with them, to pray with them, and uh, to learn and to grow uh, along with them. So that is this coming Wednesday. Also, we've been preparing for this for a while. Next Sunday, right after service, uh, if you're interested in going, just register on our website so we know who's going. But we will take a team of people down to Delaware. We've done this a few times already in the past few years, and this is part of our missions outreach. Our missions team tries to put together an opportunity every month, and so uh, next Sunday, right after service, uh, we'll be carpooling down, so we'll pray and head out, bring a, a bag lunch, bring something to eat on the way, and a few of us will drive down, and we'll head down and stay for a few hours, and what we do is we pull up right under this bridge right next to the Sunday breakfast mission, which is a mission outreach down there, and we hand out um, coats, gloves and hats, blessing bags, and we take the opportunity to get to know people in that community. There's a lot of people struggling with homelessness and addiction and, and uh, severe poverty, and so they come out, and there's lot, always lots of people, and so we want to bless them with, uh, in very practical ways, but also pray for opportunities to share the good news of the gospel, right, which is truly our only hope, and so um, it's, a, it's a wonderful opportunity. Um, you'll be changed if you do it. And uh, so I just encourage you, if you're on the fence, jump on that side of the fence and register and come with us. Even if you forget to register and you show up next Sunday, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna go. Then just come on, everybody is welcome, right? And uh, so that is next Sunday, all right? I'm gonna do that. And then of course, on the 12th of February, coming up in a few weeks is our annual business meeting. So everybody is welcome. We do that right after our uh, Sunday service on the 12th. Um, our members vote on our budget uh, for the coming year, and so, but everybody's welcome as we talk also about uh, more about the vision and kind of the future and uh, this coming year at least of Trinity, all right? So keep that 
in mind. And so this morning, uh, we will beginning, uh, be getting back into our series, Following Jesus in a Hostile World. And we did First Peter last year. This morning, we will get into the book of Second Peter and look at an overview and an intro uh, and a reminder of the Apostle Peter and all that we can learn from him and what uh, the similarities are to this uh, letter and the first one and the differences as well. Um, and so that will be uh, in just a moment. Um, but two other things before we do that. I want to take the opportunity uh, to pray because um, this Sunday is what's been uh, come to known over the last few uh, decades as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And it was back in actually 1983 that then President Reagan said these words. He's, this was in 1983. He said, the real question for us today is not when human life begins, but what is the value of human life? So a year later, he made a proclamation. Presidents can make proclamations. They're not laws or policy, but it's a proclamation. And he called it the National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And it was to be the nearest Sunday to January 2nd. This year happens to be January 2nd, Sunday. Not every president since then has made the proclamation every year. However, most importantly, millions of Christians, brothers and sisters in this country, who are worshiping the Lord even right now, uh, we take the opportunity to be reminded of the value of all of human life to our God, for he is the creator of life. Amen. So on this day, we're reminded to pray for the protection of the unborn, to be reminded that God has created all of us in his image and that he is life himself. We are reminded on this day that we set aside that the Lord will make all things new one day and that there will be a day coming, and we pray that it's soon, where there will be no more mourning, no more tears, no more pain or death because it tells us at the end of the Bible that Jesus will one day make all things new. We are reminded that Christ died so that we might live, and that until he returns for us, we are to be advocates for all that he has created, especially life. For we are people of hope, and as our enemy seeks constantly death, we stand for life, amen? So I'm gonna pray, if you would pray along with me silently, as we have set aside this day, as our brothers and sisters around this country have as well, to remember that God is the God of all life, and we are to stand for the protection and to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. Let's pray. Father, give us compassion, the compassion that you have in your heart and the courage that we need as we live as faithful advocates of human life with unfailing hope to stand for those who are still being knit together in their mother's womb. Give us wisdom, give us strength, give us sufficient grace, move us to pray beyond today for all those whom you have created. Lord Jesus, 
Also, please show us how to love and care for those who need your love and forgiveness and hope and healing. For these are found only in you. We ask you, Lord, on this day and every day, as the psalmists often did, in our vulnerability and questioning hearts, how long, O Lord? How long until you keep your promise to make all things new? How long until suffering and death are no more part of life? How long until your perfect justice and righteousness prevail? How long, O Lord, how long? Father God, you are creator and sustainer of all life. We question, we struggle, yet our faith and trust remain in you. For where else can we turn? In whom can we place our trust other than you, our God? So have mercy on us, on our country, and the nations of our world. And give us, your image bearers, strength and courage to stand and live for you until you return. May we represent life and all that that means in Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is um, good to be here, and it's great when we can have um, some missionaries with us. As uh, most of you know, we support various missionaries uh, locally and globally. Um, there's a map right out on the wall with their pictures or the name of the ministry and a, and a string that shows right where they are on the, on the map. And it's a good reminder, a visual, that it's important to us as a church. It's important that we as followers of Jesus support those who have sensed the call of the Lord to go and to go and to spread the gospel. In a sense, we're all missionaries and we're all called to share the gospel but some are called specifically to different places in this country and around the world in specific ministries, and we praise God for that. We support them financially, and we support them through prayer. So when we can have them with us, it's a great privilege and an honor uh, to support them with hugs and with love and um, encouraging words and for them to share with us. And so right now, I'd like to invite Jim Baker, his wife Liz is here. We know them and we've been known them for so long and so come on up and we can give them a round of applause already <laughs> we thank you guys so much for being here oh, and so just yeah yep share what the lord has put on your heart praise the lord yep yep i'll give you the mic to me fail God didn't 
and he dwelt among us. Amen. God with us. And you have been with us. Whether you realize it or not, have mercy. You hear people worshiping. This has come about. Is bringing part of it. Yeah, you, uh, this body is absolutely kind of a part of our family's life in the present day. But uh, for those of you that don't know our backstory, I was just realizing it was 30 years ago this year um, that I was sitting here, you know, we were worshiping and yeah, we usually, that was usually our spot right over here. Um, I was playing bass in the worship band. I think the, the biggest um, upbraiding I got was on Victory in Jesus. They said, you're playing a little too funky. You got to tone it down. Um, so, but I was just, we were just part of the crew. And I, we, there was one Sunday evening, a missionary came to speak about what was going on in the former Soviet Union. And God just grabbed a hold of us. And this body has been a part of that journey uh, ever since. So this is, you know, so back 30 years ago, God uh, uh, redirected our lives toward the nation of Ukraine. Originally, it was going to be a one-year commitment, and through the middle of it, it became very clear that God had given us a more concrete sense of purpose. Um, we had already had a burden for Europe and the spiritual climate of Europe because we just see that the the influence of secularism and kind of post-Christian thinking that's in this country has its roots and influence in Europe. So we really, while we are in, we've always been engaged in our community, in our neighborhood, taking a global picture, we really just felt called to invest there. And when we got to Ukraine, fell in love with the people, and we felt that God gave us a fairly concrete uh, call that the spiritual direction of the nation of Ukraine was going to be determinative for the spiritual direction of Europe. And the coming generation uh, of believers, or those who were going to become believers in Ukraine, they were going to be determinative in the spiritual direction of this country. So we felt God telling us to, and we had originally gone there to do evangelism and discipleship, largely among students and young people, and he said, this generation coming up, give your lives to them. So that's pretty much what we've done. Over time, uh, our mission has expanded by the nature of what we were doing in Ukraine. We felt God giving us not just a particular direction, but some particular themes. And for us, it, it was basically the missing people, the invisible people, the, the people that get described as being those people, particularly by us so-called normal folks in church. Uh, in the 1990s in Ukraine, it had to do with HIV-AIDS, which was a horrible uh, problem there. But then God began to draw us to other people who were not being represented in the churches that were springing up, not being seen there, and who were not really a focus of outreach. People like the gypsies, the, the so-called the Roma people, uh, people with disabilities, uh, people that lived on the streets. They might, be, they might be objects of compassion, but they weren't seen as worthy participants in the body. And so that kind of became our burden, and we particularly got involved in working in the area of disability. Um, 
But I lead this team now of 10 um, full-time career experienced professional missionaries, um, each with a particular um, focus. Um, and But with us, we've worked in Ukraine, and I know you guys have supported us concretely in some ways. We partner a lot with Johnny and Friends, the organization that works with disability to put on church-based camps for families affected by disability. And that has just been such a source of joy and uh, vision for us. And over that time, in one town in Ukraine, we met a, a couple called Sergey and uh, Natasha. Uh, he's a pastor. Uh, and she, about, oh man, almost 20 years ago, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, was in an accident that, that left her quadriplegic. And... Um, this couple has been used so mightily by God to strengthen and edify and equip the church to bring the gospel to people. Because when she was going through rehab, she saw all of these people who were similarly affected by accidents that left them horribly impaired, and it, nobody cared for them. Nobody came to visit them. And they said, this is our calling. This is our mission. So, so God used, uh, you know, a basically horrible, painful experience in her life to change this church, turn this church upside down, and we're still partnering that, with that church today. But then uh, this last year, uh, war came to Ukraine, um, and I think it's not an exaggeration to say just on the basis of that alone and the way it's affected us after 30 years of identifying with this country, we have shed more tears uh, this last year. Um, than in our lives, I think. Uh, communities across the country, and not just, not just soldiers, the, the war is affecting like every community. Um, and they're, un they're finding themselves under attack. Interestingly enough, as the war ebbs and flows, there are places the invaders come and take over, and then they're driven back out. Interestingly enough, once the foreign presence leaves, I've heard this in multiple, multiple places, it's not the police that come in. It's not the military that comes in first. It's church people. The church in Ukraine, and particularly the evangelical church, is frontline active in, in meeting the, the crisis situations that so many people find themselves in. And they're taking it as their call to bring the gospel to those hard places. Um, four, over four million people were forced to leave their country, not just leave their homes, leave their country, find a home in a place that they don't speak their language. Um, and most of them are women and children uh, because the men are sitting there, you know, doing the, the work of defending the country. Um, and many of them are believers. So you have this big movement of people, many of whom are, are, are representatives of Jesus Christ being involuntarily but forcibly moved all over the place. So we think that's significant. Um, again, because that vision that God gave us when we started out, pour into this generation because this generation is going to influence Europe. And now we've got 4 million Ukrainians spread throughout allegedly post-Christian Europe, and many of them really carrying the light of the gospel with them. Um, but tie that together with our passion and our, our commitment to people with disabilities. These refugee pathways for people that need to evacuate the country they're not particularly handicapped accessible. So you had a lot of people in literally in harm's way or even in danger of imminent death. They had nowhere to go because they were affected by disability. Well, this is a neat story. So I, 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 I want to just share this with you. We have a friend named Martina. She's a German lady. She's worked with the evangelical church in Germany 
long as I've known her, 25, she's about our age. Um, she, her, she had a friend who was a Brit, said, hey, you know what? I had a friend with a van. He went into Ukraine, and he picked up my four friends and brought them to safety. And she said, oh, that's a cool idea. What about, she's, she, she happened to be friends of Sergey and Natasha. So she called them up. She said, Natasha, I know you can't get out. Would, would you like help getting out of the country? And they said, yeah, we think it's time. We were wondering about that, but um, we're working at this center for people with disabilities, and we can't leave them alone. Well, how many people are you talking about? And they said, well, maybe six, seven, eight people. So she got on the phone, got a bigger van. By the time she called them back, she said, well, actually, it's more like 15 to 20. So she said, oh, my, I'm going to have to find a couple of vans. So she's a well-connected, smart person. So she got involved. By the time everything got together, um, there were 40 people that, that got loaded into a bus and taken. And as they, were out, as they were leaving, she's on the phone trying to find a place they can stay. So she's connecting with Christian camps, Christian resort centers, just Christians that have found a place for them to go. So they go, wow, we just rescued 40 people. And she was kind of just sitting there praising God for that, and she gets a phone call from another one of our friends, Galia, who, who, who works in the community. And she said, that was brilliant. I've got 40 people in the community with disability, and they can't get out. Can you help them? Natasha, you know, nine uh, is not in her language. She just said, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we're going to do this. So she got to work, pulled more strings together, um, put together a whole network on, on the fly. She talked about working, you know, got multiple phones on her, on her uh, desk in front of her. And uh, by the time things were over, over 600 people affected by disability and their families were moved and, and relocated in 12 different places in Germany, Holland, Switzerland. Um, and Sergey and Natasha being, having the sense of just the, how the body of Christ works, whenever they found a place that they could put people, he found somebody who was trusted and dependable and had certain uh, people skills that could kind of be a shepherd. For, so there's 12 communities of Ukrainian refugees affected by disability with church leaders uh, who are feeding into them, keeping them going. Um, interestingly enough, of course, I didn't mention Martina is also herself quadriplegic. She was in an accident about 15 years ago, uses a wheelchair, and so she was doing this all from behind. And we, so... Um, as things are going on, um, I, we were in touch with Sergey, and uh, he said, these leaders, um, they are really, I'm, a, I'm concerned for them. He's, a lot of them have disabilities as well. Um, they're, you, they're also struggling being refugees. You know, they're, they're saying people forget, you know, that we're refugees too. Just because we have some position uh, of leadership or influence, we have the same struggles that they do. And he recognized that these folks needed somebody to really pour into their lives. So he called us up. Um, this was one of the times Liz was up here in the fall. I was going over to spend a week with these about 60 leaders and their wives, uh, giving them some, some respite, which is a very, if you're doing work with people with disabilities and families, you know one of the biggest blessings you can do is just give the parents and lead, or whoever's responsible a chance to rest. We gave them that, but we also invested in their resilience, giving them some skills in how to lead uh, trauma-informed conversations to help people ground their emotions and, and giving them uh, some time in the Word together. Um, and as we went there, it turned out a lot of the people that we were investing in were the folks we did these camps with. 
you know, 10 or five or 10 years ago. Um, so we just, again, had the sense that, wow, God has been weaving this uh, together uh, for so long. And at the end of it, Sergey stood up and he said, you know, you guys have brought so much helpful stuff to us, but more helpful than anything was your presence, uh, that you were here. We've been in this thing for going on six months, now going on a year, and we don't have anybody around to just talk to about how we feel. Because as a pastor, I can't let my guard down with these people. They're looking to me to kind of stand strong. And thank God that you came here so we could just open up our hearts and, and share our, our own pain and um, just be together. And that to me was super important. But I, I want to kind of frame that story with uh, a vision uh, I guess vision, I mean, I'm not necessarily a, you know, visionary, I'm not like the heavens open or something, but God gave us a real concrete picture as this war started. And uh, I had just last year um, finished a project looking at all of the missionary movements that started from Ukraine from the 1990s onward. Ukraine has sent more Christian evangelical missionaries into the foreign mission field than any country in Europe in the last 40, 50 years. Um, they have been a, a gospel light. And I had this vision of this campfire burning in the middle of a clearing in the woods. And that, that, and suddenly a, a picture of a big boot coming down, trying to stomp that fire out. It, that fire was going to spread and somebody was trying to literally extinguish that fire by force. But every time that boot came down, sparks would fly out of the fire. First 10, maybe then, then a couple hundred, then thousands of them. And the sparks that this boot was kicking up were going all through the woods. And at the end of the picture, the, the whole forest had caught fire and it was ablaze. And so I really think that that is a sense of what God is doing. That fire is the gospel. And each one of these 4 million refugees are one of those sparks. And so we are praying that God would keep those sparks burning with the fire of the gospel, that means they need to be tended. You can't just spark something and let it go. you you got to shelter it. Maybe you have to put a little fuel on it. But that's what we feel we as a body of Christ are called to do. Um, I have had the opportunity to talk to numerous uh, Christians who are themselves refugees and, and said, do you see yourself in that picture? And more than I could count, they just had tears in their eyes and they would nod. That, that's, that's what's going on. So... Um, it is so important to be able to invest in the people that God is using to, to spread this gospel fire. And it's so interesting that, I mean, we think of refugees as being kind of disadvantaged. We think of people with disabilities as kind of being a little bit disadvantaged. And God is using people with the least visible credentials to be what we believe is the start of a, of a big gospel movement. So Thank you for how you've supported us in this. I just want to share, uh, just in the last uh, minute or two, um, just how this has affected me, the insights that we're taking away from this. First, being 30 years since God began to stir us from this pew right over here where y'all are sitting, um, it hasn't been a straight line. It hasn't been really visible how this works. Relationships flourish, and then they seem we lose each other. And then 15 years ago, we find that God has been working the whole time. Um, I guess to use a sports metaphor, God plays the long game. He's not looking to just make the next first down. 
He has a plan. And it's not, each one of us have a place in it, but it, we're not, it, the plan doesn't run through us. The plan is big and the arc is long and we need sensitivity and patience and faith to keep hope alive during those stretches where we don't see how that plan is working. But we know it's, we know it is. Uh, I remember, I mean, it wasn't like we were just sitting here not open to working in mission. We were, we were consistently asking God to help direct us to, to the calling he had for us. And I remember one prayer I prayed consistently because we did sense God calling us to the margins, calling us to maybe people who are somewhat disadvantaged. And there are sometimes uh, places people, a lot of people didn't want to go. Um, and so one of the things I would pray, particularly about like working with people in poverty or working with people with disability, because I hadn't had a lot of experience with that. And there were a lot of reasons why people like me steered away from those kind of ministries. I would pray, Lord, help me see this person, this individual, this community, the way you see them. And I, I, that, was, that was from a sincere heart. But God has sent me to those people. And the more I spend time with the people I used to call those people, I, I don't pray that prayer anymore. Instead, it's particularly when the people I'm, I'm identifying and praying about as those people, if they are people that I think they're different from me because of some uh, characteristic where I see myself as normal and they're not, or I'm strong and they're not, or I'm, I've got it together and they don't, if that's the dividing line, I'm praying the wrong prayer. And the prayer I pray now isn't, Lord, help me to see them as you see them. It's help me see myself the way you see me. Because I used to look at them and say, those poor folks, they're so needy. They're so vulnerable. They're so dependent. I said, Lord, me. Lord, help me to see how apart from you, how needy I really am. How, how, how much I not just I, 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 I thrive and love the fellowship in the body, but how much I really need it. How needy, I, how dependent I am. And, and, how, and, and that has given me a sense of unity and solidarity with people that I thought of as qualitatively different from me that has really changed my life. And lastly, the, another prayer I used to pray when we were thinking about going into mission is, Lord, Help me to be the feet and hands of Jesus. And that's a good prayer. God is active on the move. His hands are active. But when I prayed, Lord, make me the hands and feet, I think that was more informed by a desire. I want to be like an action figure. I want to be where the action is. I want to feel your power flowing through me, touching people and seeing that power turned loose. Now, if the, if the focus is on the power of Jesus, that's great. But if the focus is on me, that's a misplaced focus. And now I realize, especially thinking of what Sergei told us at the end of this, you did some amazing things. You provided some great things. You brought some good things. But most important, you were there. You were there for me. You sat and listened to me. You allowed me to open my heart and share my, the pain that I'm experiencing on this journey. And I'm thinking... When is it that I best reflect God? Like, we're called to be ambassadors. That means what we do is what the one who sends us would do. What we say is what the one who sends us would say. And am I best representing him when I'm thinking of, of myself as an action figure that's got to be in the highlight reel of every play that gets run? Or what, 
And, and I realized because so much suffering has been a part of this, I realized that prayer is basically built on looking at suffering as a problem to be solved, as a struggle to be overcome. I'm now more and more convinced that suffering is a mystery. It's a mystery to be entered with other people. And we need patience and we need humility. But in a sense, it's also freeing knowing it's not up to me to find the answer to somebody's suffering. I have the privilege and the calling to enter that mystery with others and in that entry, discover Jesus with them. So I do still pray to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but I sometimes recognize hands are also good for hugging people. Hands are also good for a, a hearty handshake. Hand, feet are also good for standing in place and maybe putting them up on somewhere and sitting and talking to somebody. So I'm realizing it's more us being present with people in the real struggles of life, not to provide the answer because we don't have the answer. Jesus, and I, I'm not even going to say Jesus has the answer because Jesus is the answer. But other than Jesus himself, the person of Jesus Christ who we love and worship this morning, we don't have an answer, but we can be present. And in our presence with people, we can mediate the presence of Jesus to them. And in our faithfulness to walk through them, through these mysteries with them, when we don't have the answers, sometimes that, that a lot of times if I want to be the hands and feet, people look at me, oh, thank you, thank you, Mr. Missionary, you came over and did, I don't want that. I want people through my presence with them to say there is a God in heaven. He's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. He cares for me. He cares for my suffering. He even walks with me in my suffering. And he can and will lead me home. Thank you for the folks that, thank you folks for just how you've helped keep us strong, keeping us in the game. Um, as, as I've shared with you, this is not, we are not a finished uh, product. Um, but by virtue of the fact that you have enabled us to stay pursuing this calling, God continues to open himself to us, and we pray that it is not just for our benefit or the blessing of those he served, but the blessing of the body of Christ, which we are privileged to be members of, and we want to worship him together with you now. Thank you, much. I trust you've been blessed. I mean, what a theme for this morning, right? Yet, yet not I, but Christ through me. Yet not I, but Christ through me. It is a privilege to partner with the two of you. It really is a privilege to do that. I know we've all been blessed. I trust that. I'm sitting over here getting very nervous because you said a few times, you used to sit right there. And then the Lord called you on that day, the ministry. They said, Claudia, maybe we should move a different row. But you know, oftentimes you'll hear from those called on, onto the mission field, as we might say, that they were sitting in church one day and really had just been praying that God would kind of give them some direction and little did they know that on that day they were called to a mission field, maybe somewhere in this country or a foreign land. I just wanna encourage you to do one thing. Be open 
whatever the Lord calls you to do. Be open to take a step of faith. Be available for the Lord. It's often said that the best ability we can have is availability, right? It might be cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. So I trust that something that Jim shared tugged on your heart. And maybe the Lord's not calling you to, to do all that they have been doing and the way the Lord's been orchestrating everything, but I guarantee you the scripture teaches us that each of us is called to follow after the Lord. And we all have something unique and individual to bring. We all have a story to share and to live out, and God can use us if we just make ourselves available. And I really appreciate your heart in sharing that and sharing what it has meant to you, the things that you have been learning. And even, and I say especially, their heart for the marginalized. Not even setting out to do what they're doing right now in particular, but how God orchestrated that and they just wanted to be available. And even that paradigm shift and that mind shift of helping those, looking at those and looking at them, but how can we enter in, especially when it comes to suffering? You know, I want to take our, our uh, remaining time together as we do begin this study on First Peter. I simply want to take a few minutes to remind you of who this person is, this person of Peter, because there's a lot that you heard already this morning that directly relates to this guy, Peter. Have you read anything that he's written lately? He wrote first and second Peter, the books that we were studying, and he has, uh, was an apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ, an early follower of our Lord. But I wanna share with you just some highlights and some lowlights from the life of Peter. To give you a picture, a reminder, we went through some of this last year, but a reminder of who wrote this letter that we are now embarking on, this, this short but powerful and profound letter of Second Peter. And so I want to set us up for our journey through this letter. As we talk about the theme, the reason it was written, and like this morning right now, the person that wrote it, what was God doing in his life? And why did God allow this particular letter from the Apostle Peter to be included in our Bible, what we call the canon of Scripture? Peter's given name was Simon, but Jesus, when he met him, he said he would be called Cephas. Isn't that great? I mean, Jesus gave him a new name. We all have a new identity in Jesus. He was one of the first followers of Jesus. And as I share just some of these, these highlights from his life, just think about your own life, your own relationship with the Lord, and even what you just heard from Jim and his heart about the kind of, of things that God is doing and how he might be calling you to be a missionary for him. Peter was a missionary for Christ. You know, that Greek translation of that name Cephas, the Aramaic name Cephas, is Petros, and it means stone or rock. 
to something about his character. Jesus gave him that name. His public ministry, Peter's public ministry, spanned more than 30 years. Took him from Jerusalem to Rome and all around. He was an outspoken and ardent disciple of Jesus. One of Jesus' closest friends, a pillar of the church, it says in Galatians. He was enthusiastic, but also sometimes strong-willed and impulsive. Do you know anybody like that? Don't look around. Look at yourself. Peter was married. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Cephas had a wife. Well, there was a, knew about a mother-in-law, right? It's hard to have a mother-in-law married. He, Peter, James, and John were partners in a profitable fishing business. <clears throat> and Simon Peter met Jesus through his brother Andrew, who had followed Jesus early on after hearing John the Baptist proclaim about Jesus, the coming Messiah. Peter had become sort of the unofficial spokesman of the 12 disciples because of his personality, his relationship with Jesus. Peter first was the first one to confess Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, which was a truth that Jesus said was divinely revealed to Peter. We see that in Matthew 16. Peter was part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, along with James and John. See, Jesus had the 12. He had many, and then he had the 12, and then he had the three, Peter, James, and John. He was one of the only three that were present when Jesus uh, raised the daughter of Jairus. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, Peter was there. And Peter and John were given the special task of preparing the final Passover meal. Peter was the one, as we well know, who um, left the boat to try to walk on water, took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. Peter was the one who Jesus, who took Jesus aside and tried to rebuke Jesus for speaking about his coming death. That was Peter. The Lord swiftly corrected him. It was Peter who suggested building the three tabernacles, the monuments to honor Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. It was Peter who drew his sword to attack the servant of the high priest. It was Peter who boasted that he would never forsake the Lord, even if anyone else did, and everybody else did, and later, he denied Christ three times, denied that he even knew him. You get in the picture of this person, Peter. <laughs> On the day of Pentecost, it was the apostle Peter who was the main speaker, the preacher that day, to the large crowd in Jerusalem. We see that in Acts 2. And the church began that day with an influx of over 3,000 new believers. God was using Peter. Sometimes Peter was reluctant. Sometimes he was diligent and sometimes he was negligent. Peter, it's a lot like us. And we can be a lot like Peter. Peter healed a lame beggar, preached boldly before the Jewish leaders. He wrote First and Second Peter, words that we still read today. 
Jesus even predicted that Peter would die a martyr's death. And even after that prediction, Peter got all the more bold and courageous in his preaching. What does that say about Peter and his devotion to his Lord Jesus and his devotion to his calling to be a representative and ambassador, an advocate for Jesus and his mission? We learn from Peter that Jesus can overcome our fears. We learn from Peter that Jesus even forgives unfaithfulness. We learn from Peter's life that Jesus patiently teaches us. Hallelujah, that he's patient and long-suffering with us. We learn from Peter's life that Jesus, listen, Jesus can see us as he intends us to be. Before the Lord Jesus, Peter had that potential. He didn't see it in himself. It's like us. We don't see that potential that we have to be used for God and for Jesus' purposes, to be his servants, his hands and feet. We might not see it, but Jesus sees it. We learn from the life of Peter that Jesus uses people that others might dismiss. This book of 2 Peter that we are embarking upon, I just want to show you the, the one passage. We can just go to the, um, the next slide. There it is. This is how the book opens, and I'm going to end our time together with this on how this book opens. Because what's interesting is that Peter, in this second letter, this brief letter, he begins and he ends with the same words. I mean, it's good to do that. He kind of begins with a thesis, but then he wraps it up in the same way. And our theme verse for this year, as I've mentioned the last few weeks, comes from the end of this book, Second Peter, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But look at how he begins his letter. He says, Simon Peter, so he's identifying himself, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's just identified it, who he is, right? It's like his business card. Here's his calling card. Here I am. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, and then verse two, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Just want to highlight in closing a couple of words. And I, I, I hope that maybe you can just dwell upon or meditate upon this week. And as we continue in our study next week, understand that Peter in this letter is writing from all indications to the same group of people that he wrote the first letter to. Hebrew Christians who have been scattered to an area what is now known as Turkey, sort of northern central Turkey, a bunch of churches, Christian community up there, probably scattered because of the ministry of Saul before he became Paul. See, Saul was a persecutor of the Christians, so many of them fled. And so here's a group of Christians that Peter is writing to the first letter to encourage them because of their persecution and suffering. But in this second letter, 
He's writing to them, again, believers, mostly of whom were Hebrews, to say, stand firm in the face of not only persecution, but false teachers, those who would come into the church and into their lives to lead them astray. He will remind us in this letter that Satan is one who wants to deceive us and distract us, to get us off track as we run the race for Jesus. And so he will remind us the nature of false teachers, how we are to stand firm on the truth of Jesus Christ, the knowledge we have of him and about him, and our knowledge that is intimate being knowing him, and how that will help us to stand firm when false teachers arise. Now we see elsewhere in scripture that not only was he warning us, but it came to pass. And this is what is to be expected, unfortunately, and so here we are today in the year 2023, and we need to heed the words of the Apostle Peter that false teachers can be among us and that Satan will use them to distract us and deter us from the mission and the message of Jesus Christ, whether it is here or in the Ukraine or anywhere around God's world. And so these are words that are relevant to today because the word of God is always relevant but especially for today. But he also has another theme, two main themes, one about false teachers and how to be aware and how to stand firm, but also the beautiful truth that Jesus is coming back. It's as if Peter is saying, stand firm, hold fast. Peter, listen, was even writing this in the last days of his life. You'll see in some of the words we read that he makes it clear that he knows his time is coming to an end. Jesus even told him, you're gonna die a martyr's death, and so he knows this is imminent, and he writes these words to saying, hold fast, stand firm in the faith. Understand the importance of grace and peace. You have peace with God because of his grace. The grace comes first. May it be multiplied, and it's all because of the knowledge, meaning getting to know all about this Jesus, and not just about him, but getting to know him. An intimate knowledge, Jesus Christ, because of our relationship with him. So that's how he starts the letter, and he's gonna end the letter the same way. So he focuses on grace and knowledge. Grace because that is how God presents himself to us, the greatest act of grace ever in Jesus Christ. It is how we are saved from the penalty of our sin nature. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith, Jesus Christ alone. So it all starts and is founded on grace. We talk about that a lot here at Trinity. But then he focuses on knowledge. He's saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus Christ. Is the only hope, the only peace in this world lies in Jesus Christ and none other. See, we're people of hope, church. We're people of peace. So that's why we represent him. We walk out into a world that's struggling, that's chaotic, that is hurting, that values death more than life. We are to be people of hope to bring that peace, that message. And we have to be careful, as Peter will tell us, 
to hold fast, to hold fast the truth, the knowledge, the grace that he's given us. You know, a lot of us watched a lot of football last weekend and this weekend, a lot of great football and a lot of terrible football. I won't go there. But you know, you watch a game of football, right? And oftentimes you'll see a receiver catch the ball, but what will he try to do? Sometimes they'll try to start running their route before they have the ball. Taking their eyes off of what's most important to see where it is they're going. The route they're running, getting into the end zone without the ball is meaningless. And what happens is they'll fumble it along the way. They also have an enemy. They have a team that's trying to thwart their progress, and we have an enemy too, don't we? And so I simply say this. We understand the reference, but we have in Jesus Christ the truth, the most precious of all gifts. We are to hold fast to that truth, hold fast to Jesus, to keep our eyes on Jesus, as the old hymn says, says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We've been given that ball, we are to hold it tightly. You know how many hours these players put into just holding the ball and, and learning how to be strong and hold on to it? as the enemy comes and tries to rip it from them so they can run and head towards the goal and the prize. And so we are not to take our eyes off of what is most important, that is Jesus Christ, and look elsewhere because then we'll be moving of our own strength without the ball and it's all useless. So let us learn from Peter as we embark on this journey in his second letter, his last letter before he dies words of wisdom, profound words of truth, words of warning, words of challenge, but ultimately to keep your eyes on Jesus, the knowledge of him and the grace that we have in him, amen? So let's stand together and pray. Father God, thank you for our time together. We thank you so much for our friends and partners in ministry, Jim and Liz Baker. We thank you, Father God. Would you bless them, Lord God, Through your Holy Spirit, continue to guide them, watch over them, protect them. Lord, continue to embolden them with the courage they need to continue ministering to the people around them, the people in Ukraine that they love so much. Father, thank you for them. And Lord, give us, each one of us, the courage. We need it, Lord, to step out of our comfort zone, to take a step of faith and say, here I am, send me, whatever that looks like. Lord, we just want to be available to be used of you. God, we see Peter doing that, and sometimes, Lord, he got it really wrong. But sometimes, God, he was a mouthpiece for you, and thousands came to believe in Jesus. Father, may we see in that May we see in his life. May we see in the life of our missionary friends. May we see in the lives of those around us what you are doing. And God, help us to get on board with what you are already doing. 
God, we are here and want to be used of you. Jesus, grant us that step of faith. Lord, help us to, the courage to take that step. Oh, Lord. God, we prayed that we would be changed. That we wouldn't be the same people leaving this place that we were when we moved in, when we came in, Lord, and we pray. Oh, we trust that that is true. The Holy Spirit, go before us. Go before us, Holy Spirit, and lead and guide us and prepare that way. May we take Jesus with us every day and keep our eyes on him. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, church. Take a moment before you leave to greet our missionaries, the bakers, and encourage them.